Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for your Sabbath, a time of rest, a time of restoration, a time of focusing on the one thing that is the most important in life, and that is Jesus Christ. Lord, bless us today in our time. May our, our, our hearts be in tune with your Holy Spirit, that we might hear you speaking to us personally, is my heart's prayer in Jesus' name, amen. I believe I read this statement last time when I was here about the importance of the book of Daniel and Revelation, both of those books. When the books of Daniel and Revelation are better understood, believers will have an entirely different religious experience. How is it with you today? Are you content with your religious experience, the condition you are in presently? Or are you looking and seeking to know more, still more and more about Jesus and to learn of him so that our lives will be transformed by coming into contact with him? Well, as we study our Bibles, we're going to find, especially in Revelation, the word means a revealing of Jesus, to see him more fully and more clearly. Shouldn't that be exciting to see Jesus more clearly? You know, I saw a video recently uh, of a, a famous sports star that was undercover and had put on a disguise and was in a public place. People didn't know who they were. And it was very interesting to see the reaction and response of how they treated this person when they didn't know who they were. And then the change that came about when they did know who this person was. Quite a different reaction when they realized it was Cristiano Ronaldo uh, that was just there kicking a ball around. You can see the way that people were so excited. The cell phones come out, the, the oohs, the ahs, and the, the, the calling for him to notice them and to wave at him or something. And it just got me to thinking, you know, do we have the same excitement and enthusiasm when we see Jesus revealed? And that's what the book of Revelation is all about, to be excited to see and discover what Jesus is doing within the veil in the sanctuary of the heavenly sanctuary. So it is so important for us to realize who Jesus is because I think when we see him for who he really is, we will be excited, amen? We will be so excited that it will be the joy and rejoicing of our heart, as the prophet Jeremiah says when he came to understand and know Jesus. It was the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, he said in Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. So, the revelation of Jesus Christ, there's just two things, uh, aspects I'd like to share with you today. Number one, insights that I have recently learned. I'm always wanting to learn and continue to grow. And number two, some ideas that have inspired or arrested my attention. And I just wanted to pass those along to you today as we look at the book of Revelation. And some of this will just be a, a quick review. I, I skipped over some of my notes when I was preaching last time, and you can't do that as easily when you're uh, locked into a, a PowerPoint, but anyway, we did mention, what does it mean that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega? Jesus is described as the Alpha and the Omega because he is the divine alphabet. The complete word and message of God is contained in Jesus. Every revelation of, of God to man comes through Jesus Christ. From A to Z, from Alpha to Omega, he makes up all of the, the message, the total package and message of God is found in Jesus Christ. We also mentioned what is the significance of Jesus being called the lion of the tribe of Judah in Revelation 5, and in the very next verse, he's described as being a lamb as it had been slain. And we saw that these two symbols 
represent the union of omnipotent power and self-sacrificing love. The lion, omnipotent power, the little meek and and lowly lamb, self-sacrificing love, which shows in in a complete picture, it says here, the whole work of redemption was expressed. The lion and the lamb all together, Jesus is both of those, and both of these together represent different phases and aspects of who he is. He is mighty to save as the lion, and he is loving and self-sacrificing to provide our salvation as a lamb. Number three, we also mentioned what is the significance of having the faith of Jesus in Revelation 14, 12. And I just, I love this statement here in volume 12 manuscript release that gives this clear-cut description of what that faith is. It is a faith that you and I must have, and it says, faith in the ability of Christ to save us amply and fully and entirely is the faith of Jesus. That's what it means to exercise true faith in Jesus, to have that strong of a belief that he can save you in spite of your weaknesses and your flaws and all of the, the past that you might have, that he has the power to save you and the strength and ability more than enough. Amply means super abundantly, beyond what is just necessary and sufficient, but in a super abundant capacity to save us. That's Jesus Christ. Somebody ought to say amen. All right. Number four. This is a a new one. What does it mean to be blessed and to receive grace in Revelation 1, verses 3 and 4? And if you have your Bible, this is right in the front end of the book of Revelation. Let's take a look at these verses here. Revelation 1, looking at verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now the word blessing, as I contemplated and looked at that carefully, I came to understand something. As you look at it across scripture, the word blessing or blessed can actually be understood all the way back from Genesis chapter one, where it talks about God created the animals and blessed them. The fish of the sea, the fowls of the air, he created man and woman, he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. He blessed the animals, he blessed people. What does it mean when God gives a blessing God created man and animals with certain capacities to do certain things or certain functions. The blessing of God is the divine empowering to enable them to fulfill the function that God created them to do. The blessing of God, I'll say that again, is the ability to do what God has created you to do in the first place. Does that make sense? And that can be in a variety of ways but it is the blessing of God. It is still from God is a divine empowering. And so we could write it this way for those of you that take notes, I love you. Write this down, blessing equals a divine power to fulfill intrinsic function what God has created you to do. The ability to do that, God gives us the ability to do that by giving us a blessing. Now it goes on in verse um, four of Revelation five and says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him. Grace be unto you. What does it mean when God says to have grace and to receive grace? Now they're connected and similar in ways, blessing and grace. Listen to this definition. Grace is divine empowering for man to fulfill extrinsic, that's outside of himself, ideals. Blessing comes from doing what God has created you to do naturally by creation, 
but grace is what God gives you the power to do, which you cannot do otherwise. It's not possible without the grace of God. So grace empowers the sinner to attain to ideals outside of himself. Said another way, grace gives us the ability to do what we cannot do for ourselves. I hope all of you are thinking of a verse right now that comes to my mind right away, and that's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, which says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. We are saved by grace, the ability, the miraculous power that God gives to us to attain to a condition that we cannot do in and of ourselves. We cannot do it without God's grace to enable us and empower us to do what he wants us to do. It is a miracle of God. So there's a a simple way of differentiating between these two. And if you like birds, I don't know if Ben and Carol Ringer are here today, any other bird people, this will be an illustration whereby you will forever know the difference between blessing and grace. We have two birds before us. We have a canary and we have a crow. Let's just imagine that you invite both of these birds to sing a song. One of them needs blessing and one of them needs grace. And I think you know which needs which. The canary has built in, created divine properties and potentials to sing. It only needs the blessing of God in order to be able to sing. But a crow needs a miracle. (laughs) A crow needs grace, which is a miracle from God to live up to outside conditions and ideals that it cannot do in and of itself. That is the difference between blessing and grace, and both are all of God and are given to us by Jesus to help us live and be the people that he wants us to be. That is an incredible understanding, and you can see this across Scripture as you understand these things. It will unfold to you more clearly the meaning and the message in the Word of God. The blessing of God empowers man to fulfill what he can do. The grace of God empowers man to fulfill what Christ has held as an ideal for him to do. They both come from God and they are both together. And the result of that, as it goes on in the next verse and says in uh, Revelation 1 verse 4, and peace unto him, and peace unto you rather, the result of blessing and grace results in peace because you are right in the middle of the will of God in doing what he has created you to do and what he wants you to do. That is the result. Amazing. All right, next one. I was only going to have seven of these because seven is a prominent number in Revelation and seven is a complete number, but I apologize. I couldn't limit myself to seven. There's eight. But let's just look at these quickly and then I'm going to make another point. I'll sit down, maybe. So, number five, why does Jesus have blood on his garment at his second coming? If you go to Revelation 19 and read these words here, Revelation 19 and verse 13, we'll get the context for this. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 13. Uh, These are again, these points that I'm mentioning are just insights that I have learned and have seen in my own personal study of Revelation, and I hope it will be encouraging to you. Revelation 19, 13, speaking of Jesus as he is coming, it says, and he was, I'm sorry, 19, 13. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in what? Dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That goes along with the divine alphabet mentioned earlier. He is clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Now, on first glance, that might appear, you know, when we think of the blood of Jesus, we think of it's the the blood that Jesus spilled to forgive us and pardon us for our sins. But if you go back to the book of Isaiah, and I have it up on the screen, but you can look it up anyway. Let's look it up, Isaiah chapter 63. 
Isaiah chapter 63, we'll notice some verses here that will make clear what this blood is referring to. And by the way, I'll just say this, if you read the book of Revelation and it seems confusing to you, as it might for many of us, and it has happened to me, push the timeout button, go back and read the entire Old Testament, and then read Revelation again, and you will see so much clarity. So much of Revelation, in fact, it's been estimated that two-thirds of Revelation is contained in allusions to things mentioned in the Old Testament. The symbolic meanings and things are there. Just like we had trees for the children's story, it says in the book of Psalms that trees are symbolizing people. It says in the book of Isaiah 55 that trees symbolize people. As you see that in Revelation, it's explained to us in Psalms and Isaiah what those symbols are, and then it's clear as you read it in Revelation because you have read the Old Testament and that makes sense. So Isaiah 63, and I should look up the verse myself and quit talking. Isaiah 63, and we're going to pick it up here in verses 2 and 3. It says, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? That's also an allusion to the treading of the, the, the grapes in Revelation 14. That's in the last part of chapter 14. And it says in verse 3 of Isaiah 63, I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury and their, wait a second, whose blood? His blood or someone else's? Their blood shall what? Shall be sprinkled upon whose garments? My garments and I will stain all my raiment. And here in this picture in the, on the screen, an artist has shown Jesus coming on the white horse there with that clothing dipped in red. And this is not his own blood. Isaiah tells us this is Jesus not coming as a lowly savior of the world. He is coming now to receive his people as the king of kings and lord of lords. This is a picture of him trampling upon his enemies as the lion of the tribe of Judah, as the conqueror of all evil and wickedness and setting up and establishing his kingdom. So that's what it means when it says he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. He is coming as a king, and I believe he's coming very soon, and I want to be ready for him. Number six, what does the river of life from the throne of God symbolize? And I think I alluded to this one last time because I said I was skipping around. The river of life that comes from the throne of God, we see this picture in Revelation chapter 21, 22, and it says here, this is from a statement from the Spirit of Prophecy, letter 87, um, from 1894. The life-cleansing, life-sustaining blood appropriated by living faith is our hope. We need to grow in appreciation of its inestimable value, for it speaks for us only as we by faith claim its virtue, keeping the conscience clean and at peace with God. This river of life actually is symbolic, as the book of Revelation is symbolic as a whole, of the blood of Jesus that was shed to give us life. Just as water gives us physical life, the blood of Jesus gives us spiritual life. And that is represented as coming right out of the throne, the foundation of the government of God, in a continuing way to all who will come and partake of it. The life of God, the blood that he shed for us, is symbolized in the river of life. Who knew that had symbolic meaning? So much of Revelation is rich with meaning if we will but continue to study and put forth effort. And I should finish the quote here. This is represented as the pardoning blood inseparably connected with the resurrection and life of our Redeemer. 
illustrated by the ever-flowing stream that proceeds from the throne of God, the water of the river of life. I didn't make that up. It's right there. This is illustrated by the ever-flowing stream, that sin-pardoning blood of the Savior that we all must claim and appropriate for ourselves by a living faith that we might receive the benefits of what Jesus has done for us. All right, number seven. What does the tree of life symbolize? Which is right there. The river of life flows in the middle of the tree of life. There are two trunks. The tree of life grows together. What does the tree of life symbolize in the midst of the paradise of God? Several statements from Review and Herald. Christ is the source of our life, the source of our immortality. He is the tree of life. And to all who come to him, he gives spiritual life. And then even further connected with the tree of life, there's another illustration that I thought was very interesting. The Bible and the Bible alone is to be the rule of our faith. It is a leaf from the tree of life. You and I today, as we study the word of God, are eating leaves from the tree of life because these leaves, these pages from the word of God that contain the living principles, the the holy living oracles of the word of God, they have the power to give us spiritual life unto salvation that we might be ready for Jesus when he comes. So we have, it's the same effect as eating of the literal trees. The tree of life is a literal tree, but the symbolic meaning is so rich as we understand that we can have the same experience today, the eternal life that is assured to us as we digest and eat the word of God. That's powerful. All right, and here's my last one before we move on uh, to part two. Number eight, how is Jesus, and I did not get to this last time, how can it be that Jesus is both the root and the offspring of David, as it mentions in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, It says, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star, uh, Revelation 22, verse 16. How can this be? I thought this was so clear. Once you see this, you will not be able to unsee it. It should be obvious, and maybe it's obvious to you without me even reading this quote here from Manuscript 61, 1895. As creator of man, he, Jesus, is the root of David, because David only exists by the will and power of his creator, that's Jesus Christ. But as bearing the nature of man, that he may be the world's redeemer, he, Jesus, is the offspring of David because he entered into humanity and became one just like us and was tempted in how many points? In all points, just like we are. He knows exactly the experiences that we go through. And he did this so that he might lay down his life for the saving of the human race he became mediator in behalf of man. So there it is. Jesus is two things. He is the root or the source of David because he created him. That speaks to his divinity. And then he is the offspring of David because he entered into humanity. And that emphasizes, of course, his humanity. Divinity and humanity perfectly united together in Jesus, our Savior. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Incredible. All right. Well, I'm just going to mention these and look at a few verses But these are some ideas, and this is not a technical study. These are kind of a flyover in high altitude elevation, just looking and painting a broad picture of the book of Revelation as a whole. Ideas that have inspired or arrested my attention, and I'm going to have these listed as we go along. Number one, the incredible love of Jesus for humanity and his provisions to save us. The love of Jesus for humanity. Let's go back to Revelation 1 verse 5. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 gives us a picture of the love of Jesus and his provisions to save us in one verse. 
it should be noted that the love of Jesus for his people and his connection with them throughout the book of Revelation is decided and close and sincere and significant. That Jesus is close to his people. That song of the, the, the young children this morning again, why should we fear when Jesus is near? Why? We should not. Because the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Revelation 1, verse 5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that did what? Loved us. To demonstrate that love, it says, and did what? Washed us from our sins in what? His own blood. Blood symbolizes life, the life of the person, the life of the animals in the sacrificial system that he washed us from, from our sins in his own life, the blood of his own life that was poured out to be an atoning sacrifice, a reconciling sacrifice that might bring us into connection with God. As we accept that sacrifice, we are reunited and reconciled to our creator and our God. What a gift this is that Jesus has given to us. What a gift has washed us in his own blood. Well, number two, the blessings that Jesus promises to all that come to him. The blessings to all that come to him. And by the way, I'll mention in my Sabbath school class this morning, I enjoyed sitting in with Dan Kuhn, uh, his class downstairs, as we're studying the book of Revelation. And it was noted by Dan Truby that the door Jesus is knocking on here does not have a door handle on the outside. I guess I hadn't looked at it closely enough because Jesus is not going to open that door himself. He's only going to allow or wait, rather, for us to open the door from the inside. That's our choice. He never calls a SWAT team to come and kick the door down and force an entrance into our lives and into our hearts. He is always there depicted patiently pleading and knocking for us to open the door. The blessings that come to all that Jesus, that come to Jesus. Let's take a look at, and we did this this morning in our, our study, Revelation 3, verses 20 and 21, there, this message to Laodicea, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That allusion to eating a meal together, supping, dining, eating, is a reference, I believe, to Jesus unfolding his word to us. The food is always the word of God that he desires for us. Time and time again, Jesus is the manna, the living manna, which came down from God out of heaven. And it continues on and says, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me where? In my throne. Can you think of a higher, more exalted position that can be offered to you and me? I cannot. I cannot think of a higher position that we would be raised to sit in heavenly places with Jesus on his throne with him to reign as kings and priests over the universe. I cannot imagine a greater blessing and a greater promise that has been given to us. Even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne, the promise is given to the overcomer and it's only in his strength and by his grace that we can overcome. But with him, we are more than conquerors, more than overcomers through him that loved us. Point number three that has arrested my attention the solemn warnings that Jesus gives us because he loves everyone. Now, I'll mention this. I, I have a friend, uh, 
not here in this church in this area uh, some time ago, I remember talking with them and sharing with them as I was reading and studying my Bible and some things in Revelation, and they commented to me that they did not like to study the book of Revelation because it was too scary and too fearful or frightful. They only like to study the promises of God. Now, I love the promises of God, and I'm doing my level best to memorize as many promises of God as possible. Amen? But the Bible contains promises as well as warnings. It contains a full, complete picture, and we need all of it. Is that true? We need all. It's in the Bible. It's there for a reason. And so there are solemn warnings because the message of Revelation is actually given to those people living in the last moments of time, which is you and me today. And we're living in a solemn time. I don't think anyone, that's not a newsflash for any of us. We are living in solemn times and we need to be warned. And maybe the, the most solemn warning is the one found in Revelation 14, verses 9 through 11. The third angel's message. If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the warning comes, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. That is a solemn warning. And that is the warning that we have been entrusted to give to the world, that they would not receive the mark of the beast, that they would not receive the plagues that fall as a result of the mark of the beast. And so these warnings are given so that we will escape and avoid the plagues that are coming. In fact, listen to this statement from volume five of the testimonies, page 197. We must keep close to the word of God. And I love this description. We need its warnings and encouragement, its threatenings and promises. We need the perfect example given only in the life and character of our Savior. So there it is. That's a comprehensive statement saying we need all the Bible. We should not, you know, seek to ignore passages of Scripture that are uncomfortable or that we don't like just because they make us feel, you know, concerned or worried. God has not given us the spirit of fear, right? That's in the Bible itself, 2 Timothy 1.7. God wants us to be warned and to realize there are threatenings because we need to realize how serious the times are that we're living in. Salvation is a serious matter. Eternal death and the second death, which is eternal, is a serious matter. And so therefore, there are serious things the Bible presents to us in the word of God. And so I'm thankful for those warnings. They arrest my attention and help me to realize the solemnity that I must have for the time that we're living in. Well, before I get to my last point, I want to mention the Pony Express. Pony Express was set up in 1860 to give and transmit information quickly and rapidly for the purpose of faster communication, a desire to travel across the country in a more rapid way. In fact, you can see this poster that is a, maybe some of you remember this in your old American history books, the Pony Express wanted poster, young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18. They don't want older people. Must be expert riders, horseback riders, willing to risk death daily. And then notice the solemn line that, which comes next. Orphans preferred. Orphans preferred. Wage is $25 per week. And that is a killing back in 1860. $25, $100 a month. That would be, with back then, that would be a lot of money. 
And so this Pony Express was set up as a, as a venture to try and get mail across the country because the old way of having to take mail around by ship around the Atlantic Ocean down either across Panama before the Panama Canal was built in 1914, across you'd have to over, you'd have to stop at one ship, um, at one port rather, at Panama, transport all of your goods across Panama by way of, of foot and whatever, then get on another ship in the Pacific and then sail up to California. This could take months. And the reason why this was so important is because in the uh, 1840s, gold was discovered in California, the gold rush in 1849. And so many people were flooding to California, but there were not a lot of people in between the East and the West Coast. But getting a mail back and forth, anyway, that's not the point this morning. That's just something else. You're not going to be quizzed on history today. The point I want to make, though, is, and these stations were set up every 15 miles because that's how far a horse could gallop before getting tired, roughly, 15 to 20 miles, and then there would be another station with another horse, and you would just go as quickly as possible, and they're advertising there they can do it in 10 days, which is dramatically faster than two or three months. 10 days to get your mail across. Well, this only lasted for a little over a year because something else came along. Yes, it was the railroad, but it was actually the, the, the transcontinental telegraph which the telegraph followed the railroads oftentimes. They, the tracks and the poles were beside each other. But that was completed in 1861, and almost immediately the Pony Express was now no longer necessary because you could tap out messages much faster on a telegraph line than you could by horseback, where it would take. And they were able to do it in eight or nine days or so, under 10 days. What am I trying to say? They had an, ur- an urgent desire to spread a message as quickly as possible. We have a message that's been given to us that we should have an even greater desire, a life or death message to spread as quickly as possible to our neighbors, our family, our friends, the message of a revealed savior, Jesus Christ. God is calling us to give that message. And I wanna notice in our final point here, number four, things that have arrested my attention or attracted my interest, the earnest longing pleading invitation Jesus gives to each of us to come to him for salvation. Let's read about it here as we come to a close in the last two chapters of Revelation, chapter 21 and chapter 22. Revelation chapter 21, and we'll notice verse six together. Sounds like music to hear pages turning, amen? Revelation 21 and verse six. We read there, and he said unto me, it is done. I am alpha and omega. We know what that means. The beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of what? The water of life in what capacity? Freely, abundantly. To him that is a thirst, that has a desire, a spiritual desire for better things, for something more than living for self and, and selfish pleasures and, and that way. Notice now in chapter 22, verses 16 and 17. Revelation 22 verses 16 and 17, and I'll come back to uh, the point here, this sermon is the last words of Jesus. The last words of Jesus, Revelation 22, verses 16 and 17. And these are the final words of Jesus in the Bible. Mine actually are in red. It says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel, and that's why we know Jesus is speaking. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. 
And notice verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Did you catch that? Jesus gives an invitation to come. The Holy Spirit gives an invitation to come. The bride of Christ, which is the church, gives an invitation to come. And even the individual member and believer gives the invitation to come. It is an invitation to come. Notice this statement in Math, uh, Manuscript uh, 73, 1896. The last words spoken by Jesus Christ to John were, and then it quotes Revelation 22, verse 17. And it says here, when we respond to God and say, Lord, we come, then with joy will we draw water out of the wells of salvation. Jesus is inviting us to come, but we cannot, we cannot share with others what we have not first experienced ourselves. And so this morning, I feel that as I read these words, I just want to renew my commitment to Jesus. I want to come to him in a way that is, that is brand new, that is fresh, and ask for him to continue working in my life and continue leading and guiding me to be, to be blessed and to have the grace that he provides to fulfill his purpose for my life. And so I want to make an appeal this morning, and I want you to listen carefully. If you have never made a decision in your life before to come to Jesus, then I think these words of Jesus, I would be doing a disservice to all of us if I did not convey that invitation as we read it here to you this morning. If you've never made a decision to come to Jesus before, then I want to invite you to come this morning. Come down here to the front, and I want to pray for you. If you've never in your life, and by the way, musicians, feel free to come on up, and you can start playing. We're going to sing together in just a moment. But if you've never made a decision in your life to come to Jesus, then I want to invite you this morning. This is the time. The Spirit, Jesus, the church, everyone is inviting us to come today. Appeal number two. Maybe you have been derailed or sidetracked from following Jesus the way that you know you should follow him, the way that Jesus has called you to follow him. Maybe you've made some bad decisions in 2018 and would like to say, I want to come to Jesus and answer the call so that I can receive the blessing that only he has given me. If that is your experience, then I want to invite you to make a renewal and a rededication and a recommitment in your life this morning and to come forward and join me here at the front. If you have gotten away from where you know that Jesus wants you to be, don't worry about who else is around or who else might be looking or, or thinking anything else. God bless you, sister. God bless you. If you want to say, I want to make sure that I am coming to Jesus as I am and allow him to change me and give me the blessing and grace that only he can provide, then now is the day. Now is the time to come to Jesus. Now is the time. If you would like to say, I know that I have gotten away from where I should be, but I want to be in the middle of the will of God, then come forward, press close, please come in, come close. My third and final appeal, if you would just like to say, I want to come to Jesus and never miss an opportunity to stand for him, then I wanna invite you to come forward this morning and I wanna pray for you as well. If you wanna just recommit yourselves as we sing, let's sing together our closing hymn. I want to pray a special prayer of blessing for all of you who want to hear the last words of Jesus. It's an invitation to come to him and receive what only he can give us. Oh, Father in heaven, we have heard your invitation speaking to us today through the sacred pages of your word, just as it was given long ago to John on the island of Patmos. 
Lord, we hear your invitation to come, and we don't ever want to miss an opportunity to stand for you and to come to you and receive what only you can do for us, the cleansing and purification of our lives, the renewal and restoring of our lives into your holy purpose. Lord, I marvel that you can give grace to sinners like me who cannot do naturally what is right, who cannot do naturally and think what is right, but with your grace, we are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can even ask or imagine. Bless my brothers and sisters now. Seal our commitment by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we be changed and transformed to be like Jesus and hold on to him by the hand of faith so that we will never let him go. Lord, we stand for you today. Receive us. We claim your words in John six thirty seven that him or her that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. We know we can rest all of our hope and all of our, our faith on this simple promise alone. We come, Lord, as we are because we cannot come any other way. And we ask you for the wells of salvation that we might leave this place with rejoicing in our hearts because we have peace with you. Bless us now, I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.